0: Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today I'm extremely pumped to talk some rookie running backs along with some of the league's, you know, a little bit more muddled backfields and one of the sharpest dudes in the industry. Of course, I'm talking about the co owner of Fantasy Points, author of the always fantastic yards created metric and series, Graham Barfield. How's it going, man?
1: Doing well, Ian. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, and, and big congrats to you for. Uh, for, for this you know new spot here at PFF, I, I've been a huge fan of yours uh, the last couple of years from watching your kind of like stock rise, uh, like just true rocket ship emojis. And uh, <laughs> I think you're going to just do huge things at PFF. It's a great fit for you.
0: Appreciate that, man. Yeah, they've learned to, uh, I guess, just brush off my Josh Allen stand. And other than that, it has been a fun ride for sure. So before we get going on some of these backfields, I want to talk about your yards creative metric. And you know, for those that have been listening to the podcast, we had on Matt Harmon a few weeks ago, and he talked about his reception perception profiles. And I consider yards created the running back equivalent to that. And it's just, it's so great. Cause we, we know that every single position on the football field, you're so impacted by teammate performance. You know, it's very hard to single out exactly how one player is doing unless you just grind away and focus on that single player for hours and hours, I'm assuming. Graham, you, you do this, you consistently get these fantastic profiles showing how running backs perform independent, you know, of their blockers and things of that nature. Could you describe the typical process that goes into creating a yards created profile?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so yards created is uh basically my inspiration from it was from Matt Harmon, uh back five years ago. And this is now my uh, fifth year doing it. And um, yeah, yards created is basically just the the number of yards uh, any running back is accountable for after the offensive line has or has not done its job. And I only do this for college running backs, frankly, because I really only have time to do it for college running backs in, like, uh, January, February, and March. But typically what I do is, like, I'll take uh, at least half of the season worth of games uh, for – any college running back and just literally chart every snap. Like I'll, I'll chart every run, chart, every pass route, every pass blocking, uh, snap, all of it. And to kind of give a full view of uh, where running back wins and where he needs to improve. Um, you know, this, this, the whole, the whole process has kind of changed just a little bit. Um, you know, yards graded and, and just, you know, subject it's, it is a subjective measure for sure. But seeing, you know, where a running back um, you know, after the offensive line, you know, hasn't done its job or hasn't done its job that, that hasn't changed, but I have added a few different things to it. Like I'll break down missed tackles forced by elusiveness and power uh, and speed. So, you know, you kind of get a better view of like where uh, and how a running back is forcing their missed tackles. Uh, I've done a little bit more uh, digging into like pass protection and stuff and really trying to like uh, slow down the tape and really like see what, you know, what, you know, the where the play is designed to go because pass protection is such a nuanced thing. And, and so many running backs coming in the NFL struggle with it. Uh, so I've really tried to like uh, add some different layers to it, add some different pieces. I've started charting defenses and, and player personnel packages and and things of that nature too, to try to give some more uh, detail to it. But uh broad point is, is uh, the, the whole, the whole process for yards created really hasn't changed. And uh, I think I went into this kind of thinking it would be more of like a, Descriptive stat, um, and just kind of like, hey, this is, you know, just some interesting context and interesting information, but it turned out to be fairly predictive, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, man. Awesome stuff. And I think it's a good call to focus more on college guys these days because that's where the mystery lies a lot of times. And, you know, rookie running backs, it's, I've done a lot of l- looking at, you know, draft capital draft capital and how rookies have been performing over the past decade or so. And rookie running backs in pretty much every position, top three rounds, those are the guys that we want to focus on. It's just hard for, you know, historically, for every Philip Lindsay, there's a lot more Darman Thompsons and Justice Hills out there that just can't get the workloads, kind of need to provide a year one fancy excellence. Since 2010, we've had 26 rookie RBs in the first uh, three rounds. End up being RB1s or RB2s in fantasy, only 13 wide receivers. So, literally half the amount. Rookie running backs, you know, we got to sort through some mess here, but they will be valuable. So, without further ado, we will be going through some of the top rookie uh, influence backfields of 2020. So, Graham, starting off, I want to look at the Colts because we got Frank Reich, who has never really been a featured back guy. I mean, you only have to go back to 2015 when we saw Reich, you know, actually playing Danny Woodhead over a first round Wisconsin running back. At that point, it was Melvin Gordon. Now a little similar situation where we have Marlon Mack, we have Naeem Hines, but Jonathan Taylor comes in. And I mean, people have some great things to say about Jonathan Taylor. What do you think this backfield looks like? And can Taylor take it over sooner rather than later?
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, I mean, Jonathan Taylor was my rookie RB1 coming into the draft. I just thought, like, he checked every single box, I mean, that you look at. He had great yards, created metrics, uh, was really good at creating yards, uh, both out of shotgun and and from under center, which is kind of uh, unexpected, I think, because Wisconsin's scheme is so under center focused. Was really good at uh, creating missed tackles, too. I saw, like somebody said in the, in the spring, that Taylor lacked wiggle, and it's just, I, I don't I don't know where that came from, um, but no, I mean, he, he had great yards, created numbers, was a prolific uh, producer at Wisconsin, obviously blew up the combine. And, and now at least for year one, he's in an incredibly muddled situation. I mean um, you know, for better or worse, I think Frank Reich is going to use Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines uh extensively. I mean uh, in his post-draft press conference, Frank Reich said, you know, we're looking at you know, using Mack and, and using Naheem Hines as a, as in his normal like, kind of passing down role. Um, and I don't really think that's going to change. I think Jonathan Taylor's a freak show. I think he's going to eventually be the 1A of the committee. But you know, he goes in a third round, Ian. Like, he goes over Allen Robinson and Adam oh, Thielen. Like Those are my guys. Like, I, I, can't take, uh, I can't take Jonathan Taylor over those wide receivers. And even though he's really good, and I think he has a chance at like a Nick Chubb-type breakout season uh, late in the year. Uh, I just think early in the year he's going to struggle to get like consistent touches and, and be a big impact for your uh, for your fantasy teams.
0: Yeah. There, there's so few one back backfields. We can live with uh, running back back committees that only feature two guys. The problem is I'm with you, man. I think it's going to be three here in the last four weeks of last season, I think kind of show what we're going to be seeing. Marlon Mack got back from injury, but, Given the week, it just was kind of game script dependent whether Mack or Hines was the lead back. And then Mack also had Jordan Wilkins or Jonathan Williams kind of splitting early down work. So, yeah, I would expect by the you know, midpoint of the season, hopefully Taylor is that 1A early down guy. But, you know, when you have these incumbent guys like Marlon Mack, the dudes had over 1,000 yards in back-to-back seasons, 18 total touchdowns. It just seems like sometimes, especially with the ADP you mentioned, we overrate how quickly these rookie backs can seize that bell cow role.
1: No doubt, and the, the final point on Taylor that I'll add is like, we have questions about him coming out as a receiver. Like when I was watching him for yards created, I mean he he definitely looked fluid when he was getting targets, but he didn't really do too much in terms of his routes. Like he uh, he was just taking like a couple steps and turning around, or it was a screenplay. It was completely unlike someone like you know Clyde Edwards-Helaire, who was just like dusting linebackers. Yeah. Uh, so not only like is is Taylor going to be competing for passing down snaps with Hines? Uh, it, it's not like he's a super nuanced pass catcher. And for PPR leagues, like we, we need targets.
0: Yeah, man. You said the guy I wanted to bring up next Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, I believe you yourself said the best running back you've seen run routes since Christian McCaffrey came out. Tell me some more about why Clyde Edwards, Hilaire should be the rookie RB one this year.
1: Yeah, I, he is. And, and I, you know, going and watching his film, I watched um, LSU at 15 games last year. I think I watched seven or eight of uh, Edwards, Hilaire's game and, and charted them. I mean, he was just getting open at will against some of the best linebackers in the country. Uh, against, you know, against Georgia, Auburn. Um, you know, he had uh, in four games against Alabama, Clemson, Auburn, and Georgia. Edwards-Alaire caught 28 balls for 243 yards, and it's not like he was just, yeah, it's not like he was just running, you know, running a couple steps. Like I said with Taylor, like he was running legit NFL running back routes, running option routes, running angle routes. Uh, getting open downfield up the seam. I mean, he was just dusting dudes and, and Joe Burrow is awesome. And and was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in literally in college football history, but he made Edwards, Alaire made th- uh, so many throws easy for burrow. And now he's in this just like God mode offense with Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, the QB goat He's you know, he's going to see a bunch of single coverage against underneath linebackers and safeties that just like have no chance to deal with his first couple steps. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is also a really underrated inside runner Uh, per yards created. He was not like near the top of this class uh, in yards created per attempt on his inside carries, but just because he's a little undersized at 5'7", 205", 208 uh, does not mean he can't run inside. I mean, he created more yards per attempt on his inside carries than DeAndre Swift, AJ Dillon, Cam Akers. Uh, Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins were by far the two best inside runners in this class, I think. Uh, but, but Edwards-Alaire is sneakily good at that. And uh, honestly, I kind of want my running back smaller. I, th- I think, uh, especially with a player like Edwards-Alaire, you know, he's so, he's built so low to the ground and has so much burst and just his, his natural wiggle is so strong and so good that, uh, you know, these NFL linebackers are going to have a really hard time getting a strong hit on him. And, uh, when you're running inside against, you know, six man boxes and, uh, you got to deal with all the speed that the, the chiefs have out wide. I just think it's like the perfect recipe for, for fantasy goodness.
0: Yeah, usually I hate when we have these rookies and we just immediately comp them to some, you know, five-time all-pro or just perennial stud. But, you know, when the guy's own head coach does the comparison, it's kind of hard for, you know, me to complain (laughs) about that. So Andy Reid already gave Everslaire the Brian Westbrook comp. Uh, It was quoted as saying he can block for you. He can run routes. He's got tremendous vision and lateral abilities, but cuts and route running, all those things. He's just a really good football player. And then Patrick Mahomes comes out, and apparently the one guy he wanted them to draft was Clyde Everslaire. I mean, Damian Williams has 10 touchdowns in his last five playoff games. He's played too good to completely hit the bench. But I mean, of all these rookie running backs that could potentially be the fancy RB1, RB2 we're looking for, Edward Slayer has to be on top of the totem pole.
1: For sure. And, and for what it's worth, I view Andy Reid is like um, maybe the best offensive mind in NFL history and, and definitely one of the best evaluators of running back talent in NFL history. I mean, the dude's, a list of running backs he's had is just unbelievable I mean he had Brian Westbrook he drafted LaShawn McCoy he got Kareem Hunt super late like the dude does not miss on running back talent and Clyde Edwards-Alaire I think is just going to be another uh, hit in a long line of success stories for Reed's running backs
0: yeah, at a minimum in Kansas City, too. It's going to be Claude Edwards-Lair and Damian Williams. So, at least we don't have to worry about three or maybe even four running backs because our next coach and next team made headlines last week in the middle of nowhere when Sean McVay came out here barking about the Rams having four running backs. Now, quickly, you know, with his quote, he started this off by saying we've got three guys really on our roster that have played football. Now, not the most resounding words. I realize Sean McVay has, you know, before the draft talked about them having three good running backs. He's talked about the San Francisco success and kind of brought up why they might want to use different guys, but I don't know, man. You look at Cam Akers and the things he brings to the table, and he sure looks a lot like the Rams' best running back in most fats of the game. How do you see Cam Akers and this Rams' uh, alleged running back by committee shaking out.
1: Yeah. You know, I read that McVeigh quote the same way. It's like, we have four (laughs) guys, we have four guys that breathe air. Like, okay, great. Um, (laughs) We have four guys that can run. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know. I have just been thinking more about this though. Like think, think of organizationally what the Rams just did with Todd Gurley. Right. Uh, I think pretty much, you know, a lot of sharp people were in agreement that the Gurley contract was obscene, uh, that they overpaid, that they, they, you know, uh, were basically buying, uh, you know, giving him a bunch of money right when his production was about to dip. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Now, granted, we didn't know, uh, you know, his knee would, would turn uh, into dust. But that being said, I mean, I think it makes some sense that the Rams, you know, were trying to pigeonhole Gurley into a workhorse role when he clearly was not himself. I mean, Todd Gurley, I don't want to take anything away from Todd Gurley. I mean, the dude coming out of Georgia was like just unbelievable talent. I mean, seriously, like prodigious talent. And uh, he, he paid it off for a couple of years. That being said, though, you know, I, I think it makes some sense. I mean, I think Sean McVay was kind of alluding to that, you know, he couldn't take Gurley off the field last year because Darrell Henderson was so behind, and, and Malcolm Brown is you know just basically a replacement-level running back. And now Henderson is in year two. They've got a great uh, new rookie running back in Acres. I do think there's going to be a little bit of a committee here, and I think the Rams and McVay have learned from the 49ers, from the Ravens, that you don't have to have just one featured back on the field 75% of the time. But I, I do agree, you know. I came in to last year loving Darrell Henderson. I mean, he was one of the best running backs in yards created history. Like, um, just constantly ripping off big plays, but I always knew there was going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him because Memphis's scheme was just so uh, dynamic, and they just kind of do a bunch of different things that you don't really see across college football. They use a lot of pulling blockers, they use a lot of like gap-based stuff, and I, you know, I thought Henderson just going back and watching all of his preseason carries and carries from this past season. His rookie year I just thought he was reading the field poorly just a beat slow on different things just did not look comfortable and maybe in year two he'll get a little bit better I, I do think it'll be Akers as the 1A but man he goes in the fifth round like Darrell Henderson goes in the 10th or 11th round now like I don't know I feel crazy for for buying a little bit of a post type dip but uh, I think you know with Akers ADP where it's at around Tyler Lockett Robert Woods uh Tara McLaurin, and Mark Andrews. Like I'm more inclined just to draft those guys and maybe uh take a little bit of a like you know home run bet on randomness bet on Darrell Henderson late.
0: Yeah. No it's some of these backfields, you got to look at the major ADP differences where, you know, if, if it's a little bit more unknown, yeah, definitely take the cheaper guy. But I guess the main point I, I, I want to make here is that there could very well be a committee of sorts, and we're probably not going to see anyone get that Todd Gurley 80 90% snap roll that he had a lot of times over the last few seasons. But I still think one of these guys is going to rise up sooner rather than later. I mean, we've seen McVay coach 52 yep. games, including the playoffs. His RB1 has played at least 60% of snaps and 48 of those games, and even the non-qualified games you know when Gurley was playing through the knee injury and the playoffs and this and that still the lead back was reaching 50 percent plus so you know maybe it's a 50 25 25 type thing but at some point i think acres is that guy and graham i mean it was acres one of the guys in yards created really popping off because you know i'm I'm not a huge college football you know just buff but everything i've heard is that that florida state offensive line was awful over the last season or two
1: yeah, dude, it was literally the worst I'd ever charted. Like, I chart <laughs> I chart yards blocked per attempt, and it was the lowest figure I've I've ever charted. Um, like Cam Akers was hit behind the line of scrimmage on like nearly a third of his carries, and if you compare that to somebody like DeAndre Swift, it was like less than ten percent. Uh, it was pretty astounding. But I do think your your broader point though about Acres and being potentially being the workhorse makes sense. I mean, he carried Florida State for back to back years. I mean, that team was trash. Their <laughs> offensive line was trash. The quarterback was trash. And Akers carried that team. Darrell Henderson was always kind of splitting carries at Memphis. Like he split carries with Tony Pollard, who, I mean, might end up being the better pro. I mean, he was definitely the better rookie last year. There's no doubt about that. Like Henderson has never been a bell cow and Akers was. So I I do think you have a a great point there.
0: So, you know, shifting away from a – awful college football team to a very good one i I might say as a columbus ohio stand one of the best teams we've ever seen but ohio state buckeyes jk dobbins look i enjoyed watching almost every single game dobbins was in over the past three years to me, though, it's a little bit concerning how the guy was electric as a rookie, comes back, kind of struggled to pull away from Mike Weber. I know there were some injuries there before, you know, again, almost taking over college football in 2019. Could not ask for a better offense to be in as a running back with Lamar Jackson just providing all these threats. But, hey, we, we got kind of a crowded backfield here. What are your 2020 expectations for J.K. Dobbins?
1: yeah, Dobbins' college career was a little up and down. I mean, just think about it at eighteen years old, eight, like what were you doing at eighteen years old? Oh, God, I know I know what I was <laughs> I know what I was doing, and it definitely wasn't doing what J.K. Dobbins was. I mean, he was averaging like nearly eight yards per carry as a true freshman. And then he came back, you know, he had a down uh, sophomore year like you said, but he came back and he was just a monster last year, like had nearly twenty, three hundred yards from scrimmage, had over twenty touchdowns, like had over 300 touches. I mean, he was a bell cow back for ohio state and his yards creative metrics were really good um he was right behind jonathan taylor in yards created per attempt on inside carries and he actually was only one of two backs in this class that had above average figures on creating yards both inside and off tackle uh, dobbins is also really like he just is kind of a well-nuanced runner like ohio state definitely opened up a lot of big holes for him but when he got to the second level and and had to make guys miss he did it i mean a nearly even amount of his evaded tackles came through uh, elusiveness, speed, and power. Um, and I don't think Ohio State's offensive line was, like, too, too big of a, like too big of a um, beneficiary for him. Like, he, he definitely did enough on his own. And now he's in a, I mean, literally the perfect offensive environment for the type of runner he is. I mean, he's a downhill, one-cut, burst guy. And Lamar Jackson and this Ravens team, I mean, they're all RPO. It's all just downhill, hit the hole and hammer. And and he is going to have basically the same offensive ecosystem that he had at Ohio State. I mean, the Ravens offensive line, yes, they lost Marshall Yonda. That hurts for sure. But they're still a top five team, uh, top five in offensive line, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, for fantasy, the only concern this year, Ian, is like, he's going to split carries with Mark Ingram. And, and I, I really don't have a great read on like who the one a and one B will be. I, I, I think we could be looking at something like uh, what we just talked about with Jonathan Taylor, where at the end of the year, Dobbins ends up being that one a, but Mark Ingram is really freaking good. Like he was awesome last year and there's definitely enough carries to go around for both of these guys, but neither is going to see a bunch of targets. Um, and for that reason, I've kind of shied away from both in season long, but I've been buying Dobbins as much as I possibly can in dynasty.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Dynasty, I think he needs to be your easy RB3. And, you know, after a few drinks, we could even talk about him being a little bit higher. But, yeah, the path to success in 2020, it's easy to see how it happens. I mean, last year, Gus Edwards had 133 carries. Justice Hill had 66 touches on his own. You know, two back committee, Ingram, Dobbins, and one of the league's top three scoring offenses. I mean, it could be an Ingram-Kamara-like situation where they both could provide RB2 value in the perfect scenario. I'm worried about Gus Edwards staying annoyingly involved. And I know Dobbins Raven said he was the number one back. I do not think Gus Evers is a crazy talented guy, but he literally leads the league in ca- yards per carry over the last two seasons among everyone with 200 carries. He just seems like the perfect incumbent veteran who isn't bad enough to really get yanked off the field, man. If it's a three headed committee here, I think I'm with you, Graham. I just don't really want to use a draft pick on a higher fourth or fifth round draft pick on Dobbins when there's probably going to be a, you know, a more, a higher floor baller receiver sitting there.
1: Yeah, not only that, I mean, it, Lamar is not going to check down to running backs. Like, he's just not. Like, when, when the, his first or second read isn't there, he is going to take off and run. He's not going to check it down. And Dobbins isn't, you know, Dobbins is a very good runner, but he was not, like, a prolific pass catcher coming out, too. Um, I, yeah, I, at their ADPs, Ingram in the fifth round, Dobbins in the fifth, sixth round, I just, I've just kind of been avoiding them. And it kind of yeah. sucks because, like, I think either one of them could just blow up, especially if one gets hurt. But uh, with, with all of those concerns, yeah, I, I just think it's an easy avoid.
0: Yeah. there's a situation where if one guy gets hurt we'll be we'll be sitting pretty otherwise not quite sure what's going on and that's the Detroit Lions backfield DeAndre Swift kind of going under the radar I think relative to other rookie RBs just kind of seems to be the consensus you know fifth or sixth guy you don't see too many people really hanging their hat on what he can do receiving friendly back but I think everyone's just expecting carry on Johnson not to be the feature back but at least as long as he can stay healthy to kind of be uh, you know, souping up 40, 50% of those snaps. Question is if Ty Johnson, Bo Scarborough can go away. How do you see this Lions backfield shaking out in 2020?
1: Yeah, I do think it's just a true one-two committee. And I think Swift is clearly the one. I, I think Carry on Johnson is like everything. You know, we saw a nice little stretch run from him in his rookie year where he he really, like, I think he shed some weight, uh, just kind of looked like a different back, like coming out of Auburn. He was kind of like a – I don't know. He was just kind of like a lanky limber runner. And then he he came out his rookie year and definitely looked a little more explosive a lot, you know, was forcing more missed tackles. And then last year, obviously, you know, he got hurt again and, and really struggled even before he got hurt. Uh, I think the lines are just kind of sick of carry on. And uh, I, I think they're going to give Swift a pretty sizable role. But my biggest concern is kind of what we were just talking about with the Ravens is like, we want Swift to catch passes. We want him to go to the chiefs. We wanted him to, you know, go maybe even to the Colts. He'd have a higher, receiving role. But here with the Lions, I, I just don't know if I see it like carry on Johnson was only averaging like two and a half targets per game in his first five games last year before he got hurt. Daryl Bevel has never been an offensive coordinator to give his running back a bunch of targets. Uh, I wrote about this in my yards creative profile on Swift, but Bevel has only given a running back 60 or more targets one time uh, in his entire offensive coordinating career. Nice. And, you know, we've got two and potentially three great pass catchers with this line's offense. I mean, Galladay is a freak. Marvin Jones is always sneaky. And TJ Hawkinson is in his second year and should get more targets. I mean, he's one of the most uh, prolific tight end prospects to come out. So I just don't know if I see a path where Swift gets like what we need is like 65 to 70 targets for him, especially if we're only projecting like 150, 180 carries as he splits with carry on. But uh, there's definitely a chance that Swift just gets on the field and makes – carry on look like total dust the, the whole point i guess i'm getting at it's like the same thing with jk dobbins it's like swift goes off the board in the fifth or sixth round and i'm typically taking the wide receivers and, and, and potentially mark andrews in that range yeah
0: yeah good stuff so uh you know you, you have cloud ever obviously as your rb1 receiving just based off talent alone is swift your rb2 and receiving
1: oh yeah oh yeah dude nice. yeah yeah i think um yeah, I think Swift comps really well with Alvin Kamara as a receiver uh, coming out. I think Kamara was a little more explosive, and he did a little bit more as a wide receiver. Like At Tennessee, they split him out a little bit more uh, as a, in, like into the slot and kind of used him in a little more, more of a niche role. But Swift is a really good pass catcher and a really good pass blocker.
0: Good stuff, man. Yeah, if, if this was, you know, Detroit Lions offense from three years ago when Theo Riddick and Golden Tate were eating every game, maybe a different conversation. But yeah, last year, year one under Daryl Bevel and Stafford, just PFFs, you know, number one quarterback, just in percentage of passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. They're chucking the rock deep now, you know, whether or not Swift can carve out that featured, featured role remains to be seen, but could be tough in a committee, like you're saying. All right, moving on. Tampa Bay was this backfield throughout the entire offseason. We were waiting for someone to go there, whether it's a Matt Breida, Duke Johnson trade, you know, a whole bunch of pipe dreams out there. End up getting Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round. It seemed like a lot of people didn't really expect him to even be a top three-round back. You know, we had this Bruce Arians quote from the Combine where he was asking, can, can my running back be a receiver? You know, Edron James never came off the field. Marshall Falk never came off the field for me i'm looking for that type of guy graham do you think Keyshawn can be that type of guy or are we looking at another just three-headed committee from hell from tampa this year
1: yeah i mean that's the thing is like ronald jones really struggled as a rookie but i i definitely like side with like the you know pat corain and, and pete overs that those are like <laughs> the biggest ronald jones fanboys ever but i mean rojo i definitely side with them like rojo looked a lot better last year uh he was still kind of inconsistent didn't really carve out like a huge role I mean, Peyton Barber was still heavily involved, but I think we're looking at another committee. Um, you know, Jason Light, their GM, came out and said, you know, we think uh, Keyshawn Vaughn can play every down, and that's great. I-, I think he can play every down, too. He did it at Vanderbilt. I mean, he was playing on, like, 75% of their team snaps and really was a bell cow back. But, like, Ronald Jones definitely deserves a, a third look uh, for this team. And Dario Gumbuwale, like, played a, t- a bunch on passing downs last year. Like, he out-snapped – uh, Rojo on passing downs. I don't think he'll do that this year. I think he'll his his role is really going to be diminished. But you know they've got you know three potentially three guys that are all going to get snaps here. And uh, I, I really, honestly, dude, I really don't have a great read on this backfield. Like I, I think there's a chance Rojo could end up being the best value, but now Keyshawn is so much cheaper. Um, it's just it's it's a super interesting uh, like kind of dichotomy here, and I really don't know where I land on it.
0: And luckily, no one does, and that's kind of why everyone is still cheap. I mean, Rojo seems to be catching a little momentum uh, lately, but the Tampa Bay and Miami backs are still pretty much the cheapest, you know, starting-ish committee guys that you can get in fantasy drafts these days. I guess with Vaughn, I mean, oh, gosh. Like, we saw this last year, and it was just Rojo Payton splitting the whole time, Dari always on pass downs, and then the one time Ron finally seems to be breaking away, misses the pass protection assignment, and just gets yanked off the field – I have always just kind of – I hate when talented athletes – okay, you got to know how to pass block, but don't force a player to do something he's not good at. We see that in Kansas City where, like, Kareem Hunt Damian Williams, they've never had more than, like, five or six pass block snaps per game because, you know, you see them run those wheels, accounting for defenders uh, that way. But for a team like Tampa Bay where we know they do care about pass protection, were there any, like, red flags and kind of watching Vaughn that makes you think that, okay, like, a three-down roll, like even if he gets an injury, is probably not going to happen?
1: Yeah, Vaughn was a much better pass blocker and, frankly, I think a slightly better prospect than Rojo coming out. Like, uh, he created more yards per attempt, was better as a pass catcher, and was a much better pass protector. Uh, Ronald Jones, uh, he had a, like a 55% pass protection execution rate, and that, that was like last in the 2017 class. And I think it's, it's got to be near the bottom of my whole, like, database uh, so I definitely don't, I don't think Ronald Jones has ever been a good pass protector and he certainly wasn't a good one last year. And, you know, with Tom Brady back there, who's basically just a statue at this point of his career, like pass protection does matter for this team. I mean, Jameis can move uh, and, and Brady can't. Uh, that's, that's certainly going to matter. And maybe, maybe that'll be one of the things that gets Vaughn on the field early in the year once, you know, he gets, uh, you know, acclimated in a few games under his
0: belt. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. You mentioned before talking about Henderson, how Memphis, you know, their offense is pretty unique. And one of the more unique players I've seen come out over these last few years has been T- Antonio Gibson. And this dude just balled the hell out in that offense, 14 touchdowns on only 77 touches. I mean, the dude was just busting off big plays Like no other seven plays of 50 plus yards, six feet, 228 pounds, four three nine forty. 40. I love, I'm already a sucker for RB wide receiver hybrids. And this guy was like made in a lab to be just Cordero Patterson but actually uh, used properly at the NFL level. Now Washington reportedly wants to use more 21 personnel next season with their, you know, two dozen RBs they got on the roster is Gibson good enough to make the most out of, you know, limited touches, or is this one of these situations where, you know, maybe he just doesn't have a defined role and we struggle to see him make too many plays in 2020.
1: Yeah. So I don't think he'll have a big role as a runner, but I, definitely think he's going to earn a role as a receiver. I mean, just think about it, Ian. You know, they, they don't have a number two wide receiver. I mean, it's sure. Terry McLaurin, and that's about it. I mean, I know Stephen Sims has gotten a little bit of buzz. Kelvin Harmon obviously is out for the year. He just towards ACL. But the rest of their you know, wide receiver depth chart is pretty scant. I think Gibson is going to be moved out as a slot wide receiver. That's kind of where he played a bunch at Memphis. Uh, And I did go back and chart all of his like 30 some odd carries last year. And he would have led this class in missed tackles force per attempt. I mean, there were were shades of Joe Mixon to his game. It's just such a small sample size that I don't feel really confident saying uh, that he's like just this uber, uber talented guy. But I mean, obviously the small sample size is still awesome um i have been drafting gibson in the 13th and 14th round of best ball leagues like where you can draft him as a running back whenever i can just because i do think there's going to be a few big blow-up games for him as a pass catcher simply because the redskins are going to be trailing a ton and they don't have a lot of explosiveness outside of mclaurin uh but with guys there with peterson there like i just don't see a big rushing role for him but you know if he can get 50 or 60 targets there's definitely going to be a few big blow games
0: yeah I'm hoping I'm seeing him listed everywhere like as a running back hopefully we get that positional designation move to a wide receiver because that's I think where we could really get the fancy value at least in year one good news too for Washington I mean their new OC Scott Turner he was calling plays for the Panthers those last four or five weeks of last season and for you know everyone that hated themselves enough to watch those games like myself we were actually seeing Curtis Samuel you know normal Panthers wide receiver but ex-RB wide receiver at Ohio State lining up in the backfield and getting legit handoffs as a true running back you know down the stretch so hopefully we see them use that type of uh, um, usage with Antonio Gibson just worry about you know assuming coaching staffs could do rational things always a bit of a tricky hurdle to get through now all right last rookie running back situation I want to go over here AJ Dillon drew a lot of eye rolls when the Packers selected them the second round right after they took a quarterback in round one I mean, look, we know Aaron Jones is great, but before the draft, even Matt LaFleur was already talking about wanting to use three backs. What do you think this Green Bay committee looks like in 2020?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was one of the ones that definitely rolled my eyes at the (laughs) A.J. Dillon pick, too. I mean, watching him and charting him for yards created, I mean, I thought he'd be like a day three pick and like a late day three pick at that. I mean, he – Man, I'm like, he was just basically a two-down grinder, did not do very much in the passing game, and, and basically has no wiggle. I mean, he was uh, last or second to last in this class and missed tackles forced. His yards credit numbers were not very good. Um, I, I just think Dylan was kind of a product of his offensive line in most plays and, and did not really uh, see the field super well. That being said, I mean, the Packers obviously have a plan. Um, you know, we can make fun of that plan as all, all we want, but it's still their plan. They want to run the ball and use three backs. I do think, though, I think the Dylan pick was more of an indictment on Jamal Williams. I think Williams has kind of just been an ineffective inside runner when he's gotten the opportunity. He's been a good pass catcher, but as a runner, I think Dylan will be there, too. The interesting thing, though, is, is like you know the Packers were talking about re-signing and giving Aaron Jones a contract extension, and, and that makes sense. I mean, when he gets the ball, Aaron Jones has been one of the you know, five most talented running backs in the NFL uh, since he came into the league. And I, I still do think the Packers will try to extend him and, and make him their featured guy. The hope for fantasy, though, is is like Jones, you know, gets more involved as a pass catcher. His targets have risen every single year. Uh, but I think, you know, he goes, Aaron Jones goes 15th, 16th overall. And uh, for me, with the, with the touchdown regression, with the Dylan pick that we kind of were all scratching our heads about, Jamal Williams will probably be involved to some extent um, I, I just think kind of fading Jones at his ADP, which which sucks because I really like him as a player.
0: I know he's so good, man. But and you look at last season, like when Devonte Adams was out, he averaged Jones averaged six point eight targets per game. And they had that Chiefs game, only game all season they used Jones as a legit wide receiver or in the slot for more than six snaps. Dude goes for like 159 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he is special as a receiver. Maybe, like you pointed out with Washington, I mean, who is Washington's number two receiver? Who's the Packers' number two receivers? Maybe Matt LaFleur has been, you know, playing us this whole time and we see Jones get that featured pass down role. It seems like that's kind of the only way he's going to meet value with how highly he's being priced right now.
1: Yeah, you you had a tweet uh, a couple weeks ago. It was like, how many targets is Matt Lafleur gonna give Aaron Jones? And you uh, used the Patrick, the Patrick uh, from SpongeBob. Yeah. the three. <laughs> that was so good, dude. I died at that one. But that's the truth, though, man. It's like he had that one game where they they used him in this like really fun role, and then they put it away. I mean, maybe maybe they're maybe they're hiding it. I, I really don't know. But you know, that's that's the only thing we can really hang our hats on at this point. And from Matt Lafleur, who gave deon lewis a featured role over derrick henry i i just don't think we can expect rational
0: coaching people don't forget matt lafleur remember that all right awesome stuff graham really you know again everyone please check out his yard's creative profiles for these rookies they are fantastic all right now i want to do a quick quick hit round i'm going to name a committee and the running backs and you know best you can two three sentences i just want your like, kind of projection outlook from a workload perspective on these guys so First up, Chargers featuring Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson, and rookie Joshua Kelly.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be Eckler as the clear, clear workhorse. I don't think we'll see him get like 250 carries, but I think he's going to play 70% of snaps. I mean, if you look at it last year when Gordon was out for those four games, uh, Eckler played 70, 75% of the team snaps. Justin Jackson only got six, seven touches per game. And really the only thing they did was add Kelly, uh, who's a fourth round rookie. Uh, I think it'll be clearly Eckler. Uh, as the one, and then you know, we'll just have to figure out and the Chargers will have to figure out who's the two between Jackson and yep. Kelly.
0: And yeah, everyone, even if the targets go down, we all realize that Rivers Gone sucks, but don't sleep on this rushing offense with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, last five yes. years, PFF team wide yards before contact stats, you know, top four teams 2019 Lamar, Ravens, 2019 Cardinals, and then two of Ty God's Buffalo teams. I mean, having that dual threat just opens up lanes. So, you know, slight target. Uh, decrease, but look for that efficiency in the run game to go up. All right, Steelers. We have James Conner, Jalen Samuels, Benny Snell, and fourth round rookie Antonio McFarlane.
1: Yeah, I mean Conner, when he's healthy, has been a top fifteen running back for fantasy. Um, you know, last year, the same case. I mean, he had you know just some monster, monster RB one games when healthy. Um, but now the Steelers, and and you know, there's been some beat writer speculation that they're going to use uh you know excuse me cut connor's carries a little bit you know he he goes it's such a tough call because like yes relative to his adp and where we think his touches are going to be when healthy connor is a value but like i just love alan robinson i love adam feeling in that range it's just really hard for me to like go all in on connor I, i definitely think he's a value and i definitely think when he's when he's healthy and if he stays healthy he's going to probably smash but He's one of those guys that I'd much rather just, you know, get my exposure to in DFS and, instead of, you know, kind of latching onto him as a third-round pick.
0: Fair point. Yeah, man, you said it. Uh, weeks one through eight last year before injury, PPR, RB9. In 2018 before injury, only Saquon and Kareem Hunt have more broken Ooh. tackles. Truly, yeah. truly an elite, an elite talent, as the kids like to say. All right, Titans backfield. We had Derrick Henry. Deion Lewis is now playing for the Clapper in New York, which means Darrington Evans is the backup RB. What do you think of Tennessee? <laughs> the clapper (laughs) (laughs) slid that one dude oh man (laughs) uh
1: yeah Derrick Henry is man like I don't know why they wouldn't give him a few more targets just a couple more screens like I when I was watching Evans and I wrote this in my profile it's like you know he just screamed really good change of pace committee back to me um and I think Derrick Henry it's a great it's a great one-two backfield but uh, Henry is, is going to eat once again. And, you know, maybe his touchdowns are grass, maybe his rushing yards are grass, but man, like if he plays all 16 games, like they're going to give him the rock 25 times per game. And, and he is going to just absolutely eat. I mean, he, I mean, his, in, his inside 10 and like inside five rushing role is just so locked in. They're not going to take him off the field for Darrington Evans inside the five. They're just not going to do it.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, we don't need the guy to get five-plus targets per game, but just more than the 1.2 he had last year. The dude's fifth in euros per target since 2017. He's not Clyde, Clyde Solaire out there, but just get the guy the ball in open space, and good things happen. So, all right. Jacksonville Jaguars, Leonard Fournette, Raquel Armstead, Chris Thompson, and God, every single time on Twitter I mention this backfield, like uh, those Ziegbo, Davina Zebo, is that his name? All those truthers come out of the woodwork, so I guess we'll mention that guy, too. What do thoughts on Jacksonville.
1: Yeah, it's funny that zigbo still has his uh still has his truth there's man, <laughs> I'm out on Fournette. I'm out. Like, you know, last year Fournette, everybody was screaming that Fournette should have scored more touchdowns. It, yes, it's very hard to score only three times when you get the ball 350 times. Like probably should have had a couple more like lucky touchdowns. But if you're looking at where those money touches come from, you know, inside the five, like Fournette didn't really get a whole lot of opportunity there because the Jags often stunk. Like they just weren't there. They weren't there in the red zone very often. Uh, last year, I went back and looked at this uh, last year for Fournette. So, um, you know, he, the Jags this year, they have the, the, NF, the NFL's lowest win total at five. And last year, they had the 12th fewest red zone plays and the ninth, uh, ninth fewest drives ending in a score. Um, Fournette only got eight carries inside the five last year, and David Montgomery, a guy in, in Chicago who really got unlucky with touchdowns, had 18 carries inside the five. Uh, Montgomery goes in the fifth round, Fournette goes in the late second. Like, if we're betting on touches, I'd rather just take the guy who's uh, going way later. And, you know, we have questions about Fournette and Montgomery's talent, um, and Montgomery's three rounds cheaper. Uh, I also want to add, real quick, too, like, Chris Thompson, I know, has kind of been a fun punching bag. Like, Jay Gruden's going to play him on passing downs I don't think he's a huge threat to Fournette's workload I actually think LaVisca Chenault is the true threat to Fournette's workload well LaVisca Chenault is a running back playing wide receiver like when he's healthy the dude is so explosive and I think Gruden is going to get him involved uh, in a myriad of ways both out of the backfield out of the slot and I think that's where Fournette's targets are going to dip from it's not going to be because of Thompson it might be a little bit on passing downs and third down situations but I think Chenault is really the true like this is where Fournette's targets are going to regress
0: I like that take man. I was watching some Chenault film yeah he had those wildcat snaps I didn't see a ton of him just lined up as a running back but I mean he was you know running the same uh, obviously types of uh, angles and stuff just out of that wildcat he, he had like
1: he had like Debo usage to me like Debo yeah. Samuel type usage and I think that's the way that Gruden will probably view his role
0: interesting man yeah i wasn't as high as him but i am all the way there with you my uh, number one uh fading at you know at adp this year at running back was leonard Fournette for sure look we got the volume we got the ppr rb7 finish last year let's not go back to a team that is tanking not the players but the team appears to be tanking and they have a running back that's been out of favor with the front office pretty much since he got there so i feel like we got lucky you know it worked in 28 it's worked in 2019 chill out in 2020 all right, the Broncos, new look backfield. Melvin Gordon seems to be the RB1, also got Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman there for now. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, no disrespect to, to Lindsay at all, who is a really talented player, and obviously, like, it's so hard for UDFA, especially UDFA running back, to, like, come in and, and command the workload that he's gotten. But the Broncos have said now for two off seasons, like, all of their moves have suggested that they do not view Lindsay as – the bell cow uh they gave Royce Freeman a, a big role last year early in the year for better or worse and it didn't work out and then they just basically gave Melvin Gordon a fully guaranteed two year contract like i think nearly 90% of Gordon's money is fully guaranteed and he's making like the seventh or eighth most uh per year among running backs like you don't give a running back that much uh juice in free agency if you're going to just make him like a, you know a one a of a committee i think Gordon is a better receiver uh, I think all of their moves suggest that they're going to use him as a workhorse. And, and for that reason, I'm, I'm really high on Melvin Gordon, especially when he slips like the late third round of drafts, like it's a boring value, but uh, I think the touches and the money touches will be there.
0: Yeah, you said it, man. At a minimum, he's the better receiver, and he should be the lead back with the pass down work. And, you know, the, the ceiling is – I think we're kind of underrating it as the lead back of a Pat Shermer offense. So definitely will be one of the top backfields. So keep an eye on those snap rates right after week one. All right, 49ers, Raheem Mostert. Right before we started recording, news came out that they did go ahead and uh, give him a little boost in his contract. So apparently the you know, front office and Mostert are feeling good about each other again. We also got Tevin Coleman, Jeff Wilson – jarek mckinnon hell maybe jalen hurd gets involved what do you think about the 49ers backfield
1: yeah i saw that news too and and to me the the trade thing was just funny i mean yeah. obviously i mean <laughs> the dude is just you know no, no again no disrespect to him he obviously blew up last year and he's probably should have gotten a, a bigger chance earlier in his career obviously but i mean he was a journeyman back he's 28 years old like the trade was never going to happen that being said the 49ers really didn't have another option but to give him a little bit more money you know like Tevin Coleman got hurt in week one last year, hurt his ankle was never the same back that we we had seen previously. And like, they really don't have much else. I mean, Jarek McKinnon's a big question mark to Michael Hastie's a UDFA. Like they really needed to get something done with Mostert. So really nothing changes for me uh, as regards to most I mean, the dude does not going to, he's not going to get a lot of targets. I mean, in his stretch run last year, including the playoffs, he only saw like 11 or 12 targets in those eight or nine games. Most of his fantasy points came from touchdowns and, um, you know, where we have a, for sure, running back by committee, Kyle Shanahan is going to run a committee. He's never going to play Mostert on, you know, anything more than like 60, 65% of the snaps on any, any single week. Uh, you know, Mostert's ADP is going to scream back into the fourth, fifth round and I'll just be avoiding it once again.
0: Yeah. You said it, man. I mean, the guy goes for 240 and four touchdowns in the NFC championship gets a you know, relatively chill 62% snap rate in the Super Bowl. I don't see any scenario where uh, are, you know gets that three-down roll in 2020. Can he make the most out of being one of Shani's rotational backs? Sure, but yeah, I'm not going to buy that price increase either. All right, Seattle Seahawks. We got Chris Carson seemingly locked in as a starter, but Rashad Penny's joined you know, team offseason Twitter video season. Also got Carlos Hyde and DJ Dallas there. What do you think of Seattle?
1: Yeah, that video was nice, man. Like, he it was did look nice. good. I mean, he for a dude who's dealt with injuries pretty much since he entered the NFL, like, he, he did look nice. Uh, Carson, to me, is, like, it, it's the same thing with Connor, you know? Like, I just – when when Penny has been off the field, Chris Carson is, like, locked in, getting 20 touches per game. Like, no doubt. And when he's healthy, Chris Carson is one of the most effective running backs in the league. Like, he last year was – fourth in PFFs elusive rating. Um, I mean, he's always been one of the most uh, efficient guys like on a per carry basis, like when he's healthy and good, like he's so rock solid. And I mean, I just feel like people are, uh, people are buying into the James Connor injury dip, but not doing it for Chris Carson, even though he's only really had one injury. Like this hip injury is really his only big injury. Connor has way more, uh, way more accumulated injuries and he's cheaper. Um, And for that reason, i'm kind of more likely to draft carson than connor uh, the only problem is obviously carson doesn't get a ton of passing down usage but you know if he's 100 percent, man like he's gonna get the rock they love him
0: it's kind of like all these you know running backs outside the top 12 it's like okay we can see where it goes well yeah. but probably give me the baller alpha number one wide receiver that's still there so all right last backfield and then we'll get get out of here arizona cardinals Kingsbury says that you know he's happy they have three good running backs, but you know the depth chart order looks like it's pretty clearly Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds, and then seventh rounder Eno Benjamin. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, Drake. Once he uh, you know once he joined the team last year, he was just lights out. I mean, I think he was RB four in fantasy points per game. He was like top five, top six in snaps. Like he's always been a super efficient player when he gets the ball. Uh, Chase Edmonds balled out in that one start against the Giants last year. And I think he's going to command a, a slightly bigger role. I mean, Kenyon Drake can't play every snap, and the Cardinals are gonna they're gonna be juiced up in pace and run a ton of plays this year. Um, I, I think Edmonds is a really nice pick, but yeah, Drake, back half of the first round, it's it's definitely not a bad pick. It's just not somebody I'm going out of my way to target. And you know, Benjamin for what it's worth, like uh, he he's not gonna be a featured uh, runner at all. I think he's really only like a pass catcher, scat back type guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Edmonds is the clear cut value here because, hey, if it's the Kenyon Drake backfield, then Edmonds is looking like a pretty nice, you know, three down handcuff around the RB 40 range. And if it happens to be more of a committee, okay, then we might actually have some standalone value and the same reasoning might just apply. So, Graham, man, thank you again. This was awesome. I know 10 times more about these rookie running backs than I did an hour ago. And it's thanks to you, brother. Anything uh, coming up that you want to plug? Yeah,
1: uh, just check out fantasypoints.com. We've got a bunch of really cool content coming out. Uh, we just finished up all of our player profiles, like going through like 300 plus players with uh, statistical nuggets, like fun uh, background on, on their talent, uh, some insider stuff we've got from our, our guy Adam Kaplan. Uh, definitely check those out if you have the chance.
0: Awesome stuff over at Fantasy Points between Graham, Scott Barrett, Greg Cosell, Adam Kaplan, just an all-star team over there. Make sure you follow Graham on Twitter at Graham Barfield. Thank you again, man. For Graham, I'm Ian. Thank you all for listening, and have a good one.